So, you know, we just, um, we just worship God. We said a particular lyric. We, we said, let revival come. And, and so it was that song probably two years ago that um, I, I was standing out, you know, I was worshiping just like you guys, one of the Sunday services, and, and we were singing that song. And, and so it, it occurred to me as we were singing it, I wonder, I wonder how, how many of us really know what we're asking for there. When, when we say, let revival come, I wonder how many of us are even ready for that, for revival to come. And, and so the Lord just really just got a hold of my heart with that to the degree of, I just started studying uh, the history of revival. There, there's been, if you study that historically, you'll see that there's four documented uh, awakenings. And, and so, but I remember in Bible college studying that as well, but it never, never really gripped my heart uh, like it has the last couple of years. And, and so, so I have friends who, um, you know, I'll call them and, hey, man, you want to hang out for lunch? And, and, and they're like, dude, Seriously, I do. But if you, man, are you going to talk about revival? Because we're like, and, and, and I'm like, come on, man, maybe. And so they're like, man, I need some air to breathe. I mean, that's just like, that's where you've been for a year and a half, two years. And uh, can we just talk college football or, or, you know, basketball or something? But it's just this thing with revival and renewal that, that you have going. And, and so you're just wearing us out. And so and so anyway, I, you know, normally I, I have slides tonight. I don't have slides. Um, but if you hear anything that, uh, you know, hey, I just didn't get that written down. If, if you could email that to me, just shoot me an email. All right. And, and I'm glad to, uh, to, to get that to you. But tonight is sort of, um, I, I really want to take a, a, an entire year or more in, in the different ministries where I get to serve and talk about this idea of renewal. Uh, you'll catch more of, of the why behind that as I start teaching, but you should have a copy of Psalm 85 on your uh, tables that you uh, should be able to follow along easily enough with me. But tonight, I mean, I would love to just open a fire hydrant and, and just push about six hours worth of data on you, but uh, we don't have time to do that. So tonight is really, it's really kind of a 30,000 foot view, okay, of, of this idea of renewal, of revival. But I do want you to catch hold of, of a revived theme because that's where we're going in 2016. So uh, my hope tonight is, is I can um, create some kind of excitement in your heart uh, toward that end. So we're going to look at it from about 30,000 feet, the nature of renewal, the nature of revival. What is it? Not too many people know how to answer that question uh, biblically. So we always want to ask, what can we learn about God's character that reveals him as the one who renews and revives. Because that's what we're going to learn, first of all, in Psalm 85 tonight. It is God who revives. It is God who renews, first and foremost. If you received, uh, or if you looked at the email that we sent about single parent family night out, uh, I wrote something like this. Some of what I'm going to talk about tonight, you're going to, you're going to hear some journal entries that I've made in my own journaling the past year and a half. And, and that was actually picked up from a journal entry. But I wrote this, God is a God who renews his people. He is a reviving God and he revives us from all kinds of circumstances. He revives us from a flagrant pursuit of sin, from outright rebellion, so that we return to him. 
Talking about God's people here. He revives the prodigal who is running the other way. He revives us from spiritual deserts, complacency, apathy, and restores us to a vivid awareness of who he is with his presence. It's what God does. And only God is able to do that. So God is a renewing and a reviving God. So it's my hope One year from today, if I stand up here and say, God renews his people, that there's there's just going to be excitement all over this room because you're going to be saying, I have walked in that. Man, I went to the throne of grace and I received renewal. I was awakened. I've seen what God can do in that. But I need to make a few distinctions before I get too far into Psalm 85. Because you hear a lot of verbiage out there about renewal, revival, awakening. What does all that mean anyway? So, so let, me, let, me, let me set it up this way. Renewal, when I talk about renewal, I am primarily talking about the individual, Renewal of the individual, okay? When God touches a single individual. When I use the word revival, really, I'm, I'm talking about when God touches a community of faith, right? So it, it is a right prayer for you to pray, God, would you send revival to Watermark Community Church? That's a right prayer, but that's not the first step. God, would you send renewal to me that I might be a part of revival at Watermark Community Church. And then you hear this word awakening. Awakening is is the wider society being impacted. Okay? So renewal is going to start right here. Revival is going to start in the community of faith. And then awakening is going to be the wider impact of what's going on beyond these church walls. So don't think in terms of revival. Well, God, would you just start saving people? All right, I'm going to talk about that. Just You think about the word revival. Vive means to live. Re means again. Live again. You can't live again until you've lived in, in the first place, right? So I made up a word called vival. If you've not been converted, you need vival before you can get to revival. That's, that's just my word, though. So I would argue that the first step in corporate revival and awakening is personal renewal. And that's why I've been so passionate about this idea of personal renewal. Todd said this just kind of off the cuff in staff prayer a few weeks ago. He, he just said, hey, revival begins with the purification of God's people. That's where it begins, with the purification of God's people. A.W. Tozer said it this way, it is impossible to have a community revival where there has not been a church revival. Okay, you follow the flow. And unless at least a few individuals seek and obtain a spiritual transformation in their own hearts, there can be no hope for their church, for a church is composed of individual Christians. And I love the way he said, unless at least a few individuals. That's normally how a precursor for revival is, is you have these little prayer huddles of people. Right? They get together four or five people. (laughs) They don't want to be noticed. They're not what I call bay window Christians. They're not in the bay window. Hey, notice me. Look what I can do. Look at my gifting. Uh, You know, they're just, man, they're just in these little tight corners. Hey, man, let's just pray. Let's seek the face of God. Let's see if He'll renew our hearts. We'll see if He can uh, stir some affections in us that might uh, ripple out to Watermark Community Church. And if that happens, what would God, could God take that in the community and do something with that? 
All right, so that's what Tozer is talking about. But let's have a little fun for a minute. What do you think of when you hear the word revival? Uh, Because, yeah, yeah, because for some people that's what it is. It's the tent out there and this guy in this slick, you know, white suit with a handkerchief and he's wiping off sweat with a southern accent and he's screaming at everybody, repent, right? Adds a syllable to it. Adds a third syllable. Repent. That's, that's, I've talked to people and they're like, that's revival. All right. And then some people would say, you know, maybe you're a little more studied and you go, well, yes, I've studied that. And I know that Jonathan Edwards name is attached to that. There was the first great awakening in the 18th century in the 1700s. And I've read about that and I know what God can do. And George Whitfield was a part of that. And uh, it was glorious. And it's good to have that knowledge. God just undo that now. Right. That's another camp. Right. The, The studious camp. And then then there's a third uh, camp that would say, man, it's just don't even use that word around me. I mean, that's just crazy. That's just nuts. I heard heard when I was growing up, I was a little boy, and revival was breaking out. And that's all I knew. Revival was breaking out. So I ran down to the stadium, and it was just a a bunch of people doing a Holy Ghost chicken dance kind of thing. And I, man, that freaked me out. And I, I don't think that was revival, but I'm told that's what revival is. But I think it was just a bunch of guys that forgot to take their meds that day. And they were just so, you know, the thing, it, it just gets scrambled. For me, it was um, in high school when uh, a guy named James Robinson was coming through periodically with, with, with the revival. Man, James Robinson's coming through at Williams Stadium in Garland. It's going to be revival. And I, I wasn't a Christian then, but I do remember thinking, that is odd that you can calendar a revival. Because that has something to do with the movement of God. I knew that and, and God doing great things in and through his people. But how in the world can you put that on a calendar? I think you can put an evangelistic campaign on a calendar. And I think that's more what they were trying to communicate. But I, I don't think you can calendar a revival. You just can't do it. So you you hear all kinds of different things out there, but back to this idea of personal renewal, because that's kind of where I'm focused tonight. And and I'll tell you what happened about um, a year and a half ago. You know, two years ago, I remember singing that song in in worship and thinking, I wonder if we even know what we're singing. And and then uh, a buddy of mine that I served with in ministry for about 12 years, hadn't seen him in two years and drove out to have lunch with him. And and so he gets in my car and I look at him and his name's Mark. And I said, Mark, how you been doing, man? And, And he looked at me, he goes, Lonnie, I am experiencing personal renewal right now. And I thought, well, nobody's ever answered that question that way. You know, how you doing? I'm great. You know, cowboys are undefeated or whatever, you know. But who says that? I'm experiencing personal renewal right now. And, and then he said, um, he, he started describing his heart for the Scripture. And, and just every time I open up the Word of God, God just clearly speaks to me through His Word. And He's changing my life. And, he, and, he's, and, he, and He's changing my heart. And I'm experiencing personal renewal. I've never heard that from anybody. So I was like, Mark, lay your hands on me. Give me some of that because I, I, I need a little bit of that because here's, here's a few things I, I'm very confident on as I've studied the idea of revival and renewal. I need renewal. Let me just stand up here before you and, and just be honest, all right? I need renewal. You need renewal. The, the, the 99.9% of folks that I talk to in the church 
those who are believers but really not plugged into a church, they would all say, I need renewal. And so you always, again, want to look at Scripture and go, God, what, is there a cause for this? Father, how do you do this? And then ask, would you restore us? Would you refresh us? Would you create a new, a fresh in my heart for you? So we're going to look at Psalm 85. Psalm 85 is a, is a corporate psalm. It's, it's what's called a national psalm. It, it's a people of God lament. You know, psalms have different classifications. There's psalms of thanksgiving. There's song, psalms of lament. This happens to be a psalm of lament. The people of God are lamenting here, and they're lamenting because they're in a difficult situation. Some scholars say, they can't prove it, but they do say, and I tend to, to agree with them, that this psalm was written in the early days of the exiles returned from Babylon. So if you're on the journey right now, that's going to sound familiar to you because that's exactly where we are. Okay, we've been studying the people of God in Jerusalem. The invaders came, took the city, destroyed the temple, and then they took the people of God and they were exiled to uh, a land called uh, Babylon. And there they stayed for a number of years. And so now I believe in this psalm, the people of God have returned. And, and I believe that's what's going on there. So let's, let's just read that. I'm going to read that. You have a copy there on your table. But it says, Lord, you were, past tense, favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob, that the people of God. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sins. Selah. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? That's our bullseye text. And, I, and I'm going to challenge you to memorize that text. Will you not revive us again? Verse 7, show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak. He will speak peace to his people, to his saints, but let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground and righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give what is good in our land, will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. Well, you can break that psalm down very easily into three different sections. Verses one through three, I call past mercy. He's remembering the past mercies from God. Verses four through seven, I call present distress. Okay, the people of God are in distress. Verse eight is kind of an independent verse. And then verses nine through 13 are what I call future glory. So let me explain some of that to you. But the first thing the psalmist does is he calls them to remember a previous day. This is very important, verses 1 through 3. So it begins by remembering a time when God had reversed their situation. I wrote this in a journal entry. They went from a bad day to a good day. They went from suffering to blessing. They went from God feeling distant to God being thick in their midst, and very near 
to them. It says that God restored the fortunes of Jacob. Jacob, again, that's the people of God. And so I do believe that this psalm communicates to us those who came back, who were exiled. It's called pre-exilic. And and so they were exiled and they came back. And I think that's what's going on here. They came back from captivity and they said things like, God, you were favorable. You restored our fortunes. You withdrew your wrath. Remember that time you renewed, renewed us, refreshed us, revived us. Remember that time when we were saying, God is doing a great work. God is doing a new work. God is moving and God is in our midst. They're remembering a time when God did a new thing and restored favor to him. Okay, and, and you pick up, I just noticed this over the, on Friday actually, but you don't have to look at it, but Psalm 126, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. <laughs> have, you ever, have you ever, when you remember past mercies, do you remember being in a place like, man, I don't want to wake up. God is thick in, my med- in the midst of, of the circumstances of my life. God, don't wake me up. And man, if this is a dream, God, I just want to keep sleeping. This is too good. That's what they're saying. We, it was like a dream. God restored. He was doing things. Then he goes, then our mouth was filled with laughter. Our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. And we are glad. And he's just saying, man, we couldn't stop laughing. There, there was joy. We, we couldn't stop rejoicing. And that's, that's why verse 6 is our bullseye text. Will you not revive us again? Why? That your people may rejoice in you again. And you pick up that same rhythm in Psalm 126. <laughs> Don't wake me up. God, you are thick right now. If this is a dream, just let me keep dreaming. So it's like Psalm 85. They're in distress now, but they remember a time when God was working. They were refreshed. They had a new hope, a fresh hope. It was a new day. It was a new day for them. They were remembering. How about you? Do you remember a day like that? Can you recall a day like that sitting here tonight? God was thick. God was moving. God was renewing. God was doing something. Do you remember having such a hunger for God that you just couldn't explain it? You couldn't, when the alarm went off at four in the morning, God, I can't, man, I can't wait to get up and meet with you. I've talked to so many people about this, and I want to read you an email I got from a friend of mine. He said, I had such a hunger for God and His Word. It wasn't a discipline like I've got to read the Bible. I couldn't wait to read the Bible. God was speaking to me through His Word. I couldn't wait to hear Todd's sermon. I wasn't counting down the minutes. I wasn't thinking about What am I going to do this afternoon? I wasn't on Facebook. I wasn't on Twitter during the sermon. I wasn't distracted by girls. During worship, I didn't have my arms crossed in dispassionate evaluation like I tend to do now. I didn't question the song selection. No, I remember when I was full force crying out to God. I was encountering the Spirit. I wasn't distant. 
assessing. I wasn't judging. I wasn't dry. I wasn't cold. No, I remember when I was engaged and prayer was intimate. It was like Jesus was right there. I remember singing to Jesus in my car as I drove. I was refreshed and it seemed like everyone around was refreshed. I saw many people come to Christ. My community was awesome. We were always there for one another. We were helping each other, studying the Bible together. We were having a great time together. The church, my small group, whatever it was, it was alive to me. You remember that? You have those kind of memories. I was on a, um, I was on a mission trip in, in 2008. And uh, with a bunch of Bible college students and and um, we were headed over to uh, down to Mexico, and uh, we, <laughs> the, the, the drug cartel. I mean, they were they were uh, just assa- assassinating people, you know, just in the streets and and going door to door and shooting people, and and so the um, uh, the head of the the college called the trip off, and and so there were seven of us that said, hey, we're still going, we're still going to go. And, and so we went, and, and I can tell you, the drive down there was, was silent. You know what? Everybody was praying. Everybody was just praying. We're just going to pray. We're just going to pray. And, and so we get down there, and, and they would not let us cross the border. And you could hear, I mean, you could hear gunfire. It was crazy. <laughs> it was crazy. And, hey, we're just going to pray. We're going, to, we're going to believe that God has a purpose for us being here. And we're just going to talk about Jesus. That's all we're going to do. We're just going to talk about Jesus. <laughs> and, and so, and so we, um, we, we're, we've partnered with a church down there in Brownsville. And, and so we get out. I mean, this, these places, these places near the border, and, um, and the drug dealers were there. And it was, if, it was if they knew we were coming. I mean, it was weird. But I can tell you the, the, the mornings and the night, I mean, somebody would always bring a devotional in the morning. And, um, and it was just, you know, you just knew that, that God was speaking through that person who had been in his word and that that word was for us that morning. And you just knew as we prayed at night, I, I, we had no fear. None. No fear. None of us knew Spanish either. It was crazy. What are we doing down here? But, but God was thick in our midst. And, 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 and we just knew it. And, and I could tell you some things that happened that, that, that would just make you scratch your head tonight. Because outside of God, dogs who are attacking you suddenly stop. I mean, what, what's going on? Will you not revive us again? God, we need you. First and foremost, we need you. We need you to open the ears and the hearts of people who don't understand our language to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. I can't tell you how many people received Christ when we were down there. It was crazy. It was like, it was like catching fish in a stock pond. It was ridiculous. And, and I remember, and we were silent driving back up here just in awe of what God had done. 
God was so alive. I remember, man, God, this is crazy. You took seven people in this little no-name church with a handful of people, and, and you have just lit us up down at the border for the gospel. Crazy. God was alive. I can remember a time like that, and I'm just going to be honest with you tonight. God is not near as alive to me right now as he was then in 2008. And that tends to happen to the Christian, by the way. Did you know that? It's a cycle. We, we often experience the glory of God, and then we do what? Become familiar. We just become familiar. Right, we get familiar. We know we come to church tomorrow. Abel and the worship team, they're going to knock it out of the park. Wagner's going to get He's going to knock it out of the park. They got it. They're professionals. That's what they do. And if God wants to do something, he'll do something. I don't have to say anything to my neighbor. I don't have to turn and say, hey, after this service, just give me five minutes. I got to tell you what God's doing in me right now. I got to tell you what God has done for me. Are you near? Let me walk you around the campus. Let me just show you. Let me just show you what Christ is up to here. It's not the, it's the people. It's crazy what he's doing in and through these people here. But we get familiar. And because God loves us, he disciplines us. And then we find ourselves going, God, I'm that guy in that email. I'm dry. I'm cold. I'm that guy in the world. I'm, I'm looking at John Abel going, why do you always sing Tomlin songs? Why don't you sing Crowder songs? Why don't we sing Hillsong United? I'll lift my hands then. I'm going to stay right here now. Ah, those Tomlin things, they drive me crazy. You play me some Crowder, I'm up. I'm up. I'm going to talk to this guy about, gee, play Crowder, I'll talk to him. We just get familiar and God's just going, man, you know? And, and, and so a part of his discipline, I believe, with, with the um, people of God that we're reading about in Psalm 85, is that he becomes distant. He just becomes distant. But then he turns. And he starts doing a work in our heart when we pray, when we confess, when we repent. We're going to learn some more about that. But that's what's going on in Psalm 85. They're remembering. That's all they're doing. That's how it starts out. Just remember, God, a time when you were thick. Can you not do that again? Will you not revive us? It's a healthy thing to do. And I truly believe that in the days ahead for single-parent families at Watermark, that God has something of renewal for you. I really do believe that, and I pray that for you. I pray that for all of you. I really do. And I believe God wants to, to, to start with us remembering past mercy which will cause an utter dissatisfaction with the status quo and will renew a heart of hunger for God. I think that's what he wants to do. It's interesting in that psalm, um, it's never nostalgic, and I, and I love that. We never, and there are other, I could take you through chapters in Isaiah, Haggai, Zechariah, and I could show you these, these brilliant chapters on revival, and it's never about being nostalgic. It's never about sitting around with our feet up and, and saying, hey, let's talk about what God used to do. Hey, light me a cigar, pour another glass of wine. Let's remember how awesome God was. And we take that and we put it in a museum as if God doesn't want to do anything again. And we say things like, man, those were the good old days. Turn on the ball game. Remember that? Remember what God did when we started Watermark in 2000? It was awesome. 
It's 15 years ago. And so what we pick up in the psalm, the reason that I say it's a healthy thing to do is because those were the days should lead us to say, restore us again. Not those were the good old days. God, this is what you did. Do it again. Do that again. Restore us. And that's important because past mercy leads him in the midst of present distress, the psalmist, to cry out, restore us again, O God of our salvation. God, you saved us. God, you're a saving God. God, you give us life. Now restore us. Do that in us again. Because right now, things aren't so good. They're in a distress of some kind. I call it a present distress. But we know things are not as good as they could be. Things are not as good as they were. And I think the psalmist would say, God, I don't think they're as good as you want them to be right now. So the people of God in present distress are asking for God to restore them. Now, he says some interesting things next that I'm not going to spend a lot of time with because he uses words like indignation and angry, right? God, how long? Are you going to be angry with us forever? Are you going to be angry to all the generations to come? And so you look at that, if you're like me, and, and then your pastor stands up on Saturday and says, he's not angry. He's not angry. He's not mad at you. And then you open your text and you go, wait a minute. Man, I grew up, I, I, you know, I was verbally abused by, uh, by an alcoholic father. I, you know, I, I got married. I, I married an alcoholic, and that alcoholic not only physically abused me, but, but um, verbally abused me as well. Hey, I had a circle of friends. I was in community with it one time, and, and they turned on me, and they just verbally abused me. And if anger has ever landed on you like that, you tend to look at that and go, hey, I'm not so sure I want a God that's angry. I'm not so sure I want a God that's indignant toward me because I, man, I'm sinful <laughs> and, and, and I get it. So, so I want to say, if that's a part of your story, I, 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 I have such great empathy for you. I, I really, really do. But, but it's a great error we make when we project our human experiences of anger on the text. Okay, because uh, God is not your angry you. God is not your angry two-year-old. God is not your angry abusive ex-spouse. God is not your angry, well, you fill in the blank. That, that's, that's not God. These words can actually be translated displeasure. It even carries the idea of annoyance or an offense. And so here's what I journaled about that. I think he's saying our actions toward you or inaction, as the case may be, are annoying to a holy God of the universe. You are just in your indignation toward us. We are acting in a way that is not pleasing in the sense of honoring God. Our actions, our hearts, our lives, they're not honoring to the God who's given himself for us. God, it even appears to us like you're angry with us. You're not going to be that way forever, are you? So what does it mean? Well, it's, it's confusing it, and it, it's unthinkable for several in this room, I'm sure, to, to think that a God who loves his covenant people, a God who is faithful to his covenant people, could be angry at his covenant people. 
So it's easier to say what it doesn't mean, I think, than what it does mean. But if this would help you at all, um, God always acts for his people's good, for their best interest, out of love for them. Okay, that's the God of the Bible. God is utterly self-controlled. He's not capricious. He doesn't fly off the handle. He's not angry like that. He's never sinfully impatient. Now, we have to remember that God does oppose sin so much that he did what? He sent his son, Jesus, to die on a cross to endure judgment for sin. He went to the cross to rescue us from sin. So he's opposed to sin, and as I said earlier, he does bring discipline to those he loves. Hebrews. But he always does it out of love. So if this group who came out of exile, they probably were, I think they were experiencing by God's discipline, distance rather than a fruitfulness, a frustration. And so in their humanness, it just kind of felt like, it appeared like, God, are you you angry with us? Are you always going to be angry with us? Why are you indignant toward us? And God's just going, man, I, I... I did some amazing things when, when you were in captivity. I, I moved some things. I moved some hearts and brought you back here to rebuild the temple. And, and if you read Haggai and Zechariah, you find out what they start doing. They started building their own houses, their own mansions, pursuing the American dream. And God said, that's, that's not why I brought you back. I brought you back and you started pursuing stuff. And things, I brought you back, he would say, into the land for my glory, not that you could live consumed for your own glory. That sound familiar? That should sound familiar. So I think what's going on here, God is disciplining his people by distancing himself. And there's just a lack of fruitfulness in all that they put their hands to. So they're likely apathetic, apathetic. They want to know and experience God's nearness and his favor. And so verse 6 is absolutely a great place to be. Memorize that text. And as I said earlier, will you not revive us again? It's emphatic. If there was an all caps in, in that psalm, it would be that. God. God, will you renew, revive us again. Will you show us a new work, God? Because right now, what we're pursuing is not fulfilling to us. And when you're able to say that, everything gets real. And, and you tend to get honest before God. Here's another journal entry. You start saying and meaning things like, God, I don't want to be consumed with me. I don't want to just go through religious motions. I don't want to be a nominal Christian where I have the name believer, but if you look at my experience, there's no sense of God in my life. I have a Bible on my shelf, but no hunger for it in my heart. I know how to pray, but I'm not really interested enough to pursue God in prayer. I'm busy. I'm active. I'm not waiting on the Lord. My heart is empty and artificial. Only God softens a heart and brings renewal to a heart. But that's exactly, I mean, it's just, a, it's just a picture of where we are right now. When you look at that, when God brought them back, and you study these Psalms where they're going, God, you were doing all this, God, you were doing all this, God, you were doing all this, bam, what happened? My heart's empty. I, I don't know what happened. I, yes, I was building my McMansions. I was pursuing my own dreams. 
God, I know you had a purpose for me. I kind of turned my back on that. I went my own way. (laughs) But man, now I need you. I need you, God. Will you not revive me again? And, and, and we, tend to, um, we tend to look at that and think that that's not okay. Hey, that is glorious. That is glory. That is an indication of the grace of God already working in your heart. The fact that you would even go there and say, God, I need, I need some help right now. I need some encouragement right now. That's not weak Christianity. That's humble Christianity. That's saying, God, I, I, there's a hole in my heart. So you need to blow on that ember. Somebody from your community comes to you and says that. Don't tell them you lack faith. That's the grace of God working in their heart. I've talked to four single moms this week alone who are in that story right there. They're faithful. I know them to be faithful. They love Jesus. But they're hum- they've humbled themselves enough right now to say, man, I am hurting. I, I just don't feel the nearness of God. I love Jesus, but I got to tell you, it's a labor to get in his word right now. It's a labor to sit with my kids and pray with them right now. Four this week. Praise Christ for them. Humble enough to do that. When are we going to humble ourselves to do that? Rather than say, I don't know, man, you just lack faith. It's nuts. Help somebody. Blow on that ember. If your heart is not soft, we just need to be honest about that. Now, if your heart is, is just hard right now, hey, I'm not pursuing the Lord and I don't care. I, I've written a, a prayer that you're going to get at your table. And, um, and I wrote that because I, I want to help you. I want to help you and I want to challenge you. Every day, it's, it's a prayer that I wrote for renewal. And just put that in front of you and, and read Psalm 139, the text that, that I wrote out there, and, and just, just get away with God and, and just pray it and mean it. God, would you do this? Would you help me? We can't make revival happen, but we can ask, we can seek, we can knock. Man, I've been doing that for two years now. And I've been thinking back, you know, I just gave you one illustration of a mission trip. I can give you other. I can give you a lot more examples. But Matthew Henry said this, When God intends great mercy for his people, the first thing he does is set them a-praying. Is set them a-praying. Remember I told you about renewal, about revival? You look historically, it always begins with, with just a handful of people. Just pressing in the Lord. Just pressing in the Lord. Nobody knows about it. Nobody knows about it. And, and then God just starts moving and, and starts doing things. I'm going I'm to give you five characteristics of revival. Because right now, if I'm you, I'm thinking, well, how do I know? How do I know? Number one, the esteem of Jesus is raised. Number two, because of genuine repentance, Satan's kingdom suffers. Number three, men and women have a greater response to Scripture. Four, men and women will see more clearly spiritual truth and error. And then five, there's a new sense of love towards God and others. Those are five overriding characteristics of renewal or revival. Yeah. Go over them again. One, the esteem of Jesus is raised. 
Because of genuine repentance, Satan's kingdom suffers. Men and women have a greater response to Scripture. Men and women will see more clearly spiritual truth and error. There's a new sense of love toward God and others. All right, shoot me an email on any of this and I'll, I'll get the notes to you, okay? So when, it, you know, looking at those, here's another journal in, entry that it just kind of brings it more down to earth, I think. But the renewed heart finds joy in the word, finds joy in God's ways, God's truth, God's work, God's presence, God's church, God's people, God's activity, God's mission. That's a renewed heart. I've got to have him and give my life to what he's called me to do. I want to be faithful and live as he created me to live. That's a renewed heart. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because that's the way it was, and it's not that way now. It's okay. It's okay. That's why we're here tonight. That's why we're here tonight. Look at verse 7 with me. We're almost done. We all need to ask for and be reminded of the steadfast love of God. Why, why is he asking to be revived? So I can build a bigger house. So I can get a better job. Make a little more money. Create better status in social media, platforms, profiles. Make myself look better. God, if you can help me make myself look better, I, man, I'm going to glorify you in all that I do. But first I need this. I need a better car. That's not what... Look what he says. He, just revive us so that your people may rejoice in you. Because what I'm doing now is not working. It's you where I find my joy. And then look what he says next. Show us your steadfast love. God, we need to see something. He says... So he says, show us your steadfast love. That's a word that means what? Your covenant love. Your faithful love. So Lord, I think he's saying, make us aware that you stick to us even when we don't stick to you. Make us aware that when we drift off, you come after us. Make us aware that when we're unfaithful, you're faithful. Make us aware that the gospel is glorious in what you have done for us. Make us aware that you hold us, you secure us, and you will come back for us. Show us the love that loves the unlovable, that steadfast love. Restore my joy in you first. Let me, let me rejoice in you. Then, God, I need to see this. I need to see this and be reminded that you are a God who loves the unlovable. You're going to stick to me even when I step outside of your will and your way. You may discipline me. I hope you do. If not, I'm not a child of yours, but I hope you bring discipline. All right? It may be you become distant to me and cause me to call out to revive me. But God, when you do, do it for the purpose that I might be restored in my joy toward you. And God, let me see your steadfast love. That's why we say all the time up here, God loves you and he's not mad at you. He's not. And if you're drifting right now, and if this, you're going, I'm, man, I'm glad he's talking about this tonight because I really want to go into 2016 with a renewed heart with a revived heart. That's great. That's what he, he's going, come on. Come on. Let's do this. 
These people are serious, and, and I, we're, I'm going to teach more on this, and, and that is one thing that uh, I think has arrested my heart more than anything else is, um, man, there, there are some chapters in Isaiah, and there's another psalm, and then you look through some of the prophets, and, and these guys, they're not playing around. They're not playing games anymore. And that, that's just kind of the, the rhythm you pick up and the verbiage you pick up and, and how they're praying to God and how they're communicating to God, that's what they're saying. I'm done playing. I'm going to take off the mask. I'm going to show people who I am. I've played games. I've built my kingdom. But I'm not playing games anymore. I'm serious, God. I want you thick in my midst again. That's what's going on. They're just serious about this. And verses 9 through 13, I call future glory. And you can read those um, on your own a little bit later, but you'll see in this, this prayer that they are utterly confident. They are utterly confident that God is going to show up in his faithfulness, in his favor, in his righteousness, and that glory is going to dwell in their land. And you pick that up in, in the last verses. So verse 13 kind of wraps it up. He says, and he says this with confidence, righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. God is going to do this. There's a confident hope there. Because how do they start? God, we remember. I remember when you were doing these things. This is what you did. You restored us. You, you, your favor was just all over the place. But God, things aren't so good now. We're, we're in distress. Here's, here's what's going on. Hey, we need in this psalm, we don't get confession and repentance. Uh, but we do get it in other psalms, and we do get it in, in different books of the Bible. We'll look at that uh, next year. But you can be sure, because I'm going to read you a definition of revival now. It's the best one I've ever found, and it's really important that you hear this. And it's, it's this definition. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in restoring the people of God to a more vital spiritual life. So it's the work of the Holy Spirit, restoring the God of people to a more vital spiritual life, witness, remember I told you, witness is going to go out, and work by prayer and the word after repentance in crisis for their spiritual decline. And, and when I studied that psalm, I had not seen that definition. And I just went, oh. That's right. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in restoring the people of God to a more vital spiritual life, witness and work by prayer and the word after repentance and crisis for their spiritual decline. Right? Be sure you know that because if you don't know that, man, you get into all kinds of wacky stuff. The Holy Ghost chicken dance people, right? You'll find yourself in the middle of that, driven by prayer. Driven by the Word of God. Don't step outside those boundaries or you'll get yourself in trouble. You, you'll land in a lot of heresy. All right? So what does it look like? All right, I'm going to show you my nerdy side right now, my nerdy, studious side. But um, I, I have just been reading so much on the Great Awakening, the First Awakening in, um, in the 18th century. <laughs> and, and listen to this. This is, this is what happens. This is in the American colonies. And they were degenerate. <laughs> and, and so 
And so Jonathan Edwards writes this, and by the way, he was a, 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 probably one of the most brilliant minds, theological minds America has ever known. Hyper-conservative, so he's not, you know, hey, what's the latest singer out there? I think I'll go for that. He wasn't that kind of guy. But so here's what he wrote. In the latter part of December 1734, the Spirit of God began extraordinarily to set in and wonderfully to work among us. And there was very suddenly, one after another, five or six persons who were, in all appearances, savingly converted. And then in the opening weeks of 1735, an earnest concern about the great things of religion and the eternal world became universal in all parts of this town and among persons of all degrees and all ages. All other talk but about spiritual and eternal things was soon thrown by. All the conversation in all the companies and upon all occasions was upon these things only. The minds of people were wonderfully taken off from the world. The town he's referring to is Philadelphia. So it's not a little place in the woods out here. All right? Our public assemblies, that's church, were then beautiful. The congregation was alive in God's service. Everyone earnestly intent on the public worship. Every hearer eager to drink in the words of the minister as they came from his mouth. The assembly in general were, from time to time, in tears while the word was preached. Some weeping with sorrow and distress. Others with joy and love. Others with pity and concern for the souls of their neighbor. And then he writes, this town was never so full of love nor of joy, and yet so full of distress as it was then. So he said, I've never seen the town so distressed, and yet it was full of joy and love. It was crazy. There were remarkable tokens of God's presence in almost every house. It was a time of joy in families on account of salvation being brought to them, parents rejoicing over their children as newborn. Husbands over their wives, wives over their husbands. And then he writes, there were so many persons that are coming to me under conviction and for advice, not what job should I take, what, you know, not that kind of advice, but uh, what must I do to be saved, that kind of advice. But, he's, but he says, um, I, I scarcely have time to eat bread. Wonderful things are happening here. And then he goes, the word runs like lightning. I mean, this guy didn't even have time to eat a meal. So many people are asking about Christ, asking about what, what do I do to get saved here? You can't even eat. And, and then last one, one could not walk through the town of Philadelphia in an evening without hearing the Psalms sung in different families on every street. You imagine that? You'd think it was Christmas here. What are carolers doing out at September? You know, you, God, I got a headache. You guys are bothering me. Why are you singing those songs? Can you imagine that? You go home tonight and you go outside. It's a beautiful night. You know, home, every other home is lit up. You just hear family singing psalms. And it, it, you, I mean, that's crazy. That's what was going on in the Great Awakening. God did that. So, so, so what are we going to do? I'm going to give you a start tonight, and these are going to be um, three things. So what can I do? What can I do for the fall? And, and these are going to be the questions you're going to discuss at, at your table. But number one, assess. Just assess honestly where you are. Stop playing games. Get serious, right? 
It's, it's just stop playing games. Hey, here's where I am. So I've, I've got some questions that on the sheet that you'll see that you can ask. And then secondly, it's ask. Assess, first of all. Secondly, ask. Commit to ask for God's help daily. That's why you're going to have that little prayer with you. Okay? I'm using it. So I'm going to challenge you to use it on a daily basis. And then the third word is wait. Wait with confidence. You're going to talk about Lamentations 3, 20 through 25 at your table, and you're going to see some questions that I've listed there. But the reason I wrote wait is because um, here's, here's what happens. Here's what happens to believers. Again, this psalm is, is, is God's covenant people. And, and if you're a Christian in this room, um, the reason I wrote wait is he, here's what happens. Um, God becomes distant. We think God's angry. God is showing indignation toward us. So we're going to do one of two things. We're going we're gonna to start chasing worldly things. Right, this will give me life over here. Or we're going to start chasing religious things. Here's what, I, I'm just gonna, here's what I'm going to do. I, I need two more ministries during the week. That's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to keep myself busy. I'm going to check that off. I'm just going to be more religious. <laughs> Either way, you're going to end up cold and empty. Until so you just get on your face before God. And God, God, you know the challenges of being a single parent. God, I, I, remember, I, I remember six years ago, you were thick in, my, in, in the midst of my home. I didn't, I didn't have these kind of challenges. And it, right now it just feels like you're angry toward me. You're going to be that way forever? God, will you, will you not revive me again? Restore my joy in you? God, show me your steadfast love. Show me that again. God, would you be thick in my presence? God, can I just sleep in the sweet peace of Christ? And I, by that time, I'd, I'd tell you about that verse in there that, that says, He will speak peace to His people, His saints. <laughs> he will speak peace to His people, His saints. There, there's going to be a day when I say that, and you're going to go, He does. He does. <sighs> That's my prayer for you. Man, it really is. Being a single mom, being a single dad is hard. And, and you, just operating outside of the thick presence of God, uh, it's, you don't have to. You don't have to. Ask him. You're going to get to do that tonight at your tables. Assess where you are. Ask and wait. And you wait with confidence. If you need a reminder, read the end of that psalm. That's what they, they're saying. God, we remember we're in distress now. Here's what we believe. We believe you're going to show up and do these things again. There's going to be, you're going to, the glory of God's going to dwell in the land. We would say in the church age, the glory of God is going to dwell in us. Renewal starts here. It's going to dwell in us. And then it's going to ripple out to the community of faith. And then there's going to be an awakening that's going to go into the community. You know, you're going to be at Chiloso sitting next to somebody and you're going to go, Oh my gosh, can I talk to you about Jesus? They're going to say, yes, I need hope in my life. And you're going to go, where did that come from? Usually I get cussed out. <laughs> oh, it must have been God. That's right, ask God for that. <laughs> He's doing it. And then you're going to call that prayer partner. You know, you may have two or three prayer partners. You're going to call them and they're going to, man, it happened to me today too. It's crazy. We just prayed for that. All right. So I'm going to hand out your questions and... Um, in that prayer, and 
gather up at tables if you need to. Talk about those. You have about a little over, about 35 minutes. All right, let me pray for us, and then we'll, then we'll have a conversation. Well, Father, I um, uh, just long for you. I, I just I, I want more of you. I, I, um, I want that for everybody in this room, and, and, and God, I do want to see, I want to see hearts renewed in this room. I, I want to see um, revival come to this community of faith called Watermark. I want to see the rippling effects in the community. Um, God, but it starts with you. And, and uh, what can we do but echo the words of the psalmist that we just read? God, will you not revive us again? Uh, restore our hope in you. Restore our joy in you. Father, show us your steadfast love. Be thick in our midst, God, and give us an utter dissatisfaction for the things that, that we're chasing, that, that we believe bring us life, and they don't, God, but in your grace, in your grace and in your love for us, you discipline us, and you discipline us in your distance from us, and you're just waiting, just waiting for us to ask, waiting for us to seek, waiting for us to knock, God. So, so might you do a work of grace in us tonight to start that process, not for us, not for us, God, but for your glory. So forgive us where we get that wrong. God, we repent where we're, we're, we're just sinful in that. And we uh, ch- tend to chase um, our own American dreams here and build our own ca- castles and build our own status. And uh, God, we need you to revive us, Father. So we confess that. Father, we repent from that. And will you not, beginning tonight, revive us again, O oh God, in the name of Jesus. Amen.